0: Block Talk Radio.
1: It's our annual State of the Union preview show. This year, our special guest, Democratic Congressman Rick Larson of Washington State. We will look forward to what may be on the president's agenda from immigration to family leave, from free community college to infrastructure, from foreign policy to the economy. We'll cover it all. That, and of course, tell me a story this week on Backroom Politics.
2: live from Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics. To join the discussion, you can call toll-free 1-877-662-3713. And now, the moderator of Backroom Politics, Justin Russell.
1: Good afternoon out there in Radio Land in State of the Union Tuesday here in our nation's capital. This is Backroom Politics, live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the best political talk show you've never heard of. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, to my left, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing Washington's 2nd Congressional District. He is Congressman Al Swift. Hello, Congressman. Hello, Justin. And to my left... El- 10.30 position this week around the table. He is the former Vice President of Government Affairs for National Broadcasting Corporation, former floor chief for then-Congressman Gerald R. Ford. He is Bob Hines. Hello, Roberts. Hello, Justin. And to my 11 o'clock, he is the former lobbyist for 20th Century Fox Films. He is the former executive director of the great state of Maryland's Democratic Party. He is Carl Toobin. Hello, Carl. Hello, Justin. And directly across the table this week, she is the former general counsel for the Household and Security Committee under Benny Thompson. She is the former general counsel for the Maritime Administration. She is Denise Krepp. Hello, Denise. Hello, Justin. And to my 1 o'clock, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Affairs Serving at last count under four presidents, he is a longtime, intelligent, standing, and very helpful fellow from the Stimson Center. He is the Honorable Al Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello. And to my right, he is the longtime Democratic political operative, and he is a bar-certified attorney in the District of Columbia and Maryland. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw states in there at random. Eventually you'll get this part somewhere. And he's Daniel Littner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hey Where, where are you board certified anyway? Uh, DC and Maryland. It is DC and Maryland. All right, so I got it right this week. Okay, good job. <laughs> hey, and I'm your I'm your host moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, you wanna stick around, five o'clock hour. Uh the uh he is the successor to the throne of Congressman Al Swift. He is the current Congressman of the second congressional district, of Washington State. Rick Larson will be joining us to talk about our State of the Union. But let's get to it. It is State of the Union. It is State of the Union Tuesday. We've, this is a big show for us where we can try and handicap and look into our crystal ball, which is never crystal clear, uh, what could possibly be on the president's agenda, what new curveballs could he throw at Congress, what is America looking for, and what could possibly be something that nobody thought of in the whole realm. Uh, let me start with you, Denise Cratt. Denise uh, the Republicans are already gearing up. They think he's going to come out of the box, swinging for the fences, for all kinds of different social programs. The, the Republicans already come out and said this is just another speech by President Obama. How far towards the fences do you think Obama is going to swing on this uh, on the State of the Union?
3: Well, you know, he's he talked about uh, two years of free education for students. So that, that's something that he's going to be talking about. That came out last week. Um, obviously still pushing for veterans, but do I think he's um, going to be saying a lot about landish things? No, because we have something that's very critical in the country that's called infrastructure. It is rotting. You have bridges collapsing. You have roads breaking apart. Nothing is working. And our country is dependent upon infrastructure. And I'm betting he's going to spend some quality time talking about infrastructure and the money that's needed to make the improvements
1: let's talk about that for a second. Yesterday it was uh, breaking news that an overpass in Cincinnati closed down, I- closed down all southbound lanes of I-75 through that major artery of the city uh, because they were trying to replace a bridge, and the bridge just basically, the overpass just basically collapsed. Uh, that's great timing in a key state for uh, Republicans and Democrats. It's a, key, it's a key headline for the president to use Alan Moore for calling out for more funding of critical infrastructure. Is this going to be a highlight, do you think?
4: I, I hope so, um, because it, 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 it's a definite need. And what I hope he does uh, is talk about the need and propose an increase in the gasoline tax. I'm, I'm not predicting that. I'm hoping for that because I think we're at the right time right now with gas prices so low and the trust fund that builds and rebuilds roads and bridges um, so depleted that there's a a great chance. It's not a slam dunk. It's not going to be easy, but it's a great time. And nobody has signaled that yet. So I'm kind of hoping that that not only does he talk about it, but he talks about how to fund it. Let's
1: let's talk about that for a second. Bob Hines, you know, it's been kind of rumored, bantied around the beltway that this might be something that might be on the uh, president's speech agenda this, this year for the State of the Union. But... It's a matter of where one: how do we raise the taxes on it? You're going to get pushback probably from many Republicans, and two: where do we put it? the The highway, uh, the highway trust funds are a raging disaster, just about bankrupt. Where do we put this money? Is this a good opportunity for the president to redefine how we finance our critical infrastructure?
0: Yes, and I think that uh, I think we might be surprised uh, at the number of Republicans who are willing to see a rise in the gas tax and some uh, fundamental work on our infrastructure. I mean, that is something that everybody would be happy to take some credit for. Not just the president, but uh, both parties working really hard together. The bridges are are really in trouble in this country. We all know that. Uh, As as you mentioned earlier, my own city of Cincinnati had a a, a viaduct drop off the ground ground yesterday. You know those things are happening. And I had a
2: Congressman Al. And I had a bridge fall through in, in in my former state that I represented. It's happening all over the place.
0: And and it is not a partisan issue to have good highways and safe highways and bridges that don't fall down. Congressman I,
2: Al, I have had an idea for years uh, and and no way to get it out. But it seems to me that particularly since they've done away with uh, presumably have done away with what do they call the add-ons the. Pork. Earmark? Earmark. Ear- earmarks earmark.
1: marks? marks. Did you just ha- say pork, Dan Lipner? Earmark. Yeah.
2: Which is how you're you, done. Which is how you used to get a lot of this done. Uh, and also, people are fed up to here with uh, more and more roads and airports and ports and whatever being named after congressmen and senators and what have you. And there is a lot of pork in public spending, uh, public work spending. I've often thought... Wouldn't the guy be a hero to suggest, and the president would be the ideal one, to say, I'm going to set up an independent panel who is going to prioritize public works projects on the basis of need and we'll fund those as best we can as we go down the list. Now, it seems to me that, uh, that that would be a hard thing for either party to argue against. They'd hate it. Because, as I said, they couldn't name roads after themselves. They'd hate it, but uh, it would be hard to argue against.
1: Yeah, but Alan Moore, the president tried something like that in his first term, uh, talking about a lot of shovel-ready projects. They went through review boards, investment review boards all over the place. It still fought resistance with the Republican Party. Do the Republicans still have a leg to stand on at this juncture to fight the president? On infrastructure funding. Let's, let's not
4: discredit Al's suggestion by linking it to the the uh, the Obama plan that brought us Solyndra, another completely wasteful, ridiculous spending. Fair enough. Um, that was that where the judgments were made by a little a little cadre of guys who who supposedly knew about this stuff. Um, the uh, the the highway trust fund doesn't. Ignore merit, um, and by getting rid of uh, earmarks, we we of course moved away from uh, uh, this notion that powerful individuals could simply say, "I want to br- build this bridge to nowhere, a two hundred and fifty million dollar bridge that 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 would serve a few thousand people in Alaska. Um, having said that. Um, but let
1: me just interrupt real quick. Hold on. You, the Republicans love using the Tappan Z Bridge in Westchester County, New York, as this is something that has completely blown up out of control. It was a tiger project for the president. What started off as a $250 million refurbishment has now turned into a multi-billion dollar rebuilding. And a lot of Republicans use that as a battle cry for how this can get out of control. And it's just more spending on none.
4: Well, the, the, the problem is you can't make policy on the basis of a single, solitary, uh, dis- uh, bad decision, whether it's Solyndra, Bridges to Nowhere, Tappan Zee Bridge, or, or whatever. What you've got to do is try to create a, a funding flow and a mechanism that people will believe in and trust. And, and uh, the, the, I, think, I think right now there's a bigger problem coming up with the funding flow than with the creation of a system that, that people could trust. The, the Republicans and some of the Western Democrats are so adamantly opposed to a gasoline tax. Crap.
1: Hold on, Denise crap.
3: His right, problem, and I'm, I'm glad, by the way, you mentioned both Democrats and, and Republicans, is that infrastructure really doesn't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I mean, I, I watched in, in Washington, D.C., for example, our water pipes are over 100 years old, they are collapsing there was water coming out of the street. It was about two blocks from me for five days. And every day I would diligently call WAC, the DC uh, Water Authority and say, there's water going into the street, will you, you, you know, will you fix it? And they kept saying, no, but you're on the list. And the next day I'd call and say, again, there's thousands of gallons that's going into the sewer, will you come in and fix it? And they said, we can't because you're not our top priority right now. And I'm thinking, this is mind-blowing because it's happening around the country where things are breaking, but because you're not on the top of the list, because you aren't the biggest crack in the system, you're not getting fixed. So we should be thinking about, as I'll talk about, how do we fix the system so that we actually are proactive instead of putting on multiple Band-Aids that are breaking and costing us even more money?
2: Congressman Al. And it seems to me that if you could make the way these are selected to appear more pure, more objective, that you could solve some of the funding problems as well, <clears throat> and I, I hate to say that Dick Army ever did anything good, but uh, the the base closer commission was worked. It would have worked until Bill Clinton screwed it up in one election.
5: Uh,
2: but it still can work, and uh, I think if you could tell the people, the people know their streets are no good. They know their bridges are falling down. Uh, they know that and I think they're willing to stand still for some money if they don't think they're going to build, you know, a second bridge with the name of their senator on it.
6: Dan Lipner. It's somewhat crazy that I'm the person making this argument, but the real question is whether or not the federal government needs to be doing that as some the libertarian folks, none of which are represented at the table, would say. Um, and that's where the politics begins to break down. We haven't taken infrastructure spending seriously in this country as far as I can tell, and I have to look at a history book to see it since the New Deal. And this, we consistently play play with the politics of this well, because well, there's I so know. many. Hold problems. on, hold
1: on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Everybody, hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll, let him finish and we'll go to that.
6: And yeah, no, I will grant you Eisenhower with the Interstate Highway System.
0: Well, you better. Well, <laughs> because it's the biggest thing we've ever
4: Thank done. Thank you for that modest yeah. concession. Yeah. <laughs>
0: typical Democrat. We didn't do it
5: so well. yeah. hey, hey, hey,
1: I was the first one to mention Eisenhower.
0: Yeah, and he's a, yeah. he's a Democrat.
1: He's a Democrat. All right. yeah. are you, are you, are you
6: and I believe he called his deal the square deal as opposed to the new deal. So the, the idea that these things still piggyback on each other, we still have broken politics in dealing with this, which is why the infrastructure bank idea was thrown out there by former Senator Kerry, now Secretary of State uh, Kerry, and unless you can actually re- completely remove the politics from the debate, which at the moment seems unlikely.
1: Carl Toobin? Well,
5: the federal government has to do it because the states, the states will say, we don't have enough money to do the infrastructure in our states. So when that happens, what are you going to do? You've got to turn to the federal government, and you've got to establish a system where this could be, Equally done throughout.
3: Denise, okay. crap. The best example I can give you is I-95. Um, for several years in a row, I would travel between Florida and North Carolina, and depending on which state I was in on this really long road, it would be very smooth, or it would be for 200 miles. And I bring that up because when you let states spend part of their money and not have equal funding. Which is what they were supposed to do. Then so you get crappy roads in some places and magnificent ones in others, and we can't do that because that hurts everybody overall.
1: Alan Moore.
3: Well,
4: you can't have it both ways. I mean, what happened? The way the, the way the highway trust fund works, a lot of money is turned over to states. Right. They prioritize, and their priorities may be different than one from one state to the next. They may say, "Hey." We've got I-95 going through us. That's important to us, really important to us, and we're, we're it, it, it's it's key to the in, entire economy of this state. And another state says, you know, it's workable. We've got some emergencies over over in, an, another, an, I- another,
1: an I-26. Another we'll say, in South the state. Carolina. But there's there's That's no this.
4: easy there's no
2: uh, easy answer to this. Uh, a
4: beautiful uh, example.
2: A beautiful example was the big dig. In in Massachusetts, oh, yeah. basically sucked up every penny, right. and and you could buy a brand new car and drive it twenty miles on any other road and have a bucket of bolts left behind. You know, so yes.
1: But 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 that's but
4: Seattle, Seattle's got its own big big now. It
2: oh yeah, it does. The, yeah, it does. I'm fascinated. You should with be how so proud. Work that out. <laughs> Are you proud of your old district?
1: <laughs> it's not in my district. Oh. <laughs>
5: was of the whole
1: thing. But Dan Littner, <laughs> but Dan Littner, you know, we bring up a good point with the big dig. You want to talk about a transportation infrastructure that was critical to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. They threw all kinds of money horribly over budget, horribly over uh time frame, and it's still a raging disaster. How do you justify to somebody who's paying taxes and let's say Topeka, Kansas, who's got to fund a part of this to say, we need to fix the infrastructure. And oh, by the way, we're the federal government. We know what to do with it. Well, two parts to that. One, engineering is hard. Uh, the
6: the big dig, as I, I understand it, is uh, this underground tunnel through Boston to, get, to alleviate traffic problems in an engineering feat that is challenging, to say the least. But, but we're all political types here and not engineers. So, I and probably Denise is probably as close as they come. Or maybe what? not. No. What? I mean,
5: what? No. no, no I, I all right.
3: You but know, but be that, be that, 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 that being
6: said, the, the being realistic and being honest with taxpayers is part of that argument. That it, it takes time, it takes money, and sometimes things don't always go right. And even there are often times that the reason these, these cost overruns occur is because of all the studies that, that occur which is part of the issue with the Tappan Zee Bridge, that in order to build its replacement, the environmental studies and everything else involved with not only construction, but actually where the thing is going to be placed, is, it, it is wildly expensive. Congressman Al.
2: You know, and another thing that plays here is that the media never tells you about the ones that work. Right. There is an incredible interchange at Springfield on 395, 10 miles south of Washington, D.C., that was finished slightly ahead of time and slightly under budget. And I think there was one story in the post about that. Yeah, I it, mean, We had story after story after story about the Metro.
3: I mean, yeah, in and,
2: but <laughs> in, in fact, in Congressman, as one of the Democrats
6: here, I'll say that's our fault. Because we're the party that's supposed to talk about why infrastructure works, why the this co- collective involvement of communities, local governments, state governments, and the federal government actually makes things work and that's our failure
0: okay okay
1: fair enough uh but when we look at other domestic policies uh one other one that keeps coming out is uh, we were talking about a change to the gasoline tax uh alan brought that up but rumor around washington is the president's getting ready to drop a pretty sizable demand for total tax reform is is that realistic alan well First of all,
4: I think that's inaccurate. I don't Why? see a total tax reform initiative. What I see is a is a is a fundamental shift from the failed um, uh, political line of the of, of of the last two years, which was all about raising the minimum wage and ending the war on women, both of which were bankrupt uh, lies, and that didn't work out too well for the uh, for the Democrats in in the fall. Now, at least, he's thinking a little bit bigger. What? I'm sorry. I,
3: I, 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 was, I was taking a little snooze until you said something about ending the war on women, something about bankruptcy I don't understand.
4: Well, maybe Denise, you shouldn't take those a little
1: bit. Right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Denise, what did you take offense to? Are
5: you saying that
3: what he was doing as far as promoting equal rights is not something we should be focusing on no
4: it was it was creating a bunch of bogus this trying to create this bogus war that the voters men and women said that's not our that's not what is going on in this country and we're not buying it and they voted another way what i was saying is i was actually giving him credit for thinking a little bit bigger apparently here where he's taking on some bigger tax issues um, people are t- calling it his Robin Hood tax initiative, right. where he's trying to increase um, where, where, where he's trying to increase capital gains taxes at the top end of the economic scale, uh, and then redistributing the the 320 billion dollars over the next 10 years in revenue that he proposes uh, to take to help pay for so what, what they're saying, free, I always like the word free, free two-year uh, community college, uh, increase in the child tax credit, increase in the earned income tax credit, A special tax credit for, for working couples. And The millionaire, you
1: know, it, the millionaire it, tax it, increase it, that they're talking about today.
4: So, so he's thinking bigger now. It's not an easy shot. But at least he's thinking bigger. Denise Grab?
3: I'd like to read a, a, a little uh, excerpt that was published by our friends in the press. According to. Who is it? Oh, let's see if I can get this works.: work. This
1: yeah, we always attribute
3: it. This here. would be Politico, and it says GOP women object to rape laws and 20 week abortion bill. So let's talk about this non existent war against women. Um let well, 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 well,
1: well, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Denise, hold on, hold Do you on. really want to oh, go to No, that no, authority? I don't, no, I don't want. I, I'm, I want to take moderates' privilege. That, that's, that's a social policy right now. As I, I mean, mentioned the war on women was stinking. Well, okay, 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 and we can take that. And, and that
6: is part of the topic. Because apparently, according to them,
5: systems
3: are going to have to formally report their assaults to police in order to qualify for an abortion.
5: But it the break. other thing is that there are there are six bills that have been introduced by Republicans about abortion and other things that affect women. Okay. And but we can t- and,
1: and, and, and Okay. Wait a minute. All right. Wait a minute. Wait. I, I, the this is. is over. Okay, No, hold on. Hold you're, on. Hold on. Time out. Time out. You're, you're going yourself. Alan. You Alan. just Everybody? touched the third rail there. Yeah. Fellas. Yeah. Hold on. What we're going to do yeah. is we're going to talk about social programs in the next half hour. Okay. <laughs> we'll deal. We'll take that up. As part of the social program issues that the president's going to be talking about, which also includes immigration, uh, the war on women, if you want to call it that, Uh, we can bring that up. But right now, I want to focus on the the economic side of it, and I want to go to Bob Hines. Bob Hines, when you look at the current economy, economists across the country are now saying, you know what, it's a slow resurgence but we're starting to see the rebound happen. We're starting to see implementation of economic rebounding right now. The reality is the president still is not getting any credit for any of the policies that he put in. Is that fair to the president or is that just political reality? He doesn't deserve the credit. Well,
2: I think (laughs) that's political reality. (laughs) That is is reality. (laughs) Give me a bet. Uh... Um,
5: You
0: know, yeah, the economy is getting better. There's no doubt about it, and we can all be thankful for it. But it is not very robust. It's true. But it's uh, but it's it's steady, and uh, quite frankly, uh, I would rather see something that is moving steadily forward rather than up and down and up and down and up and down, which is what you get so often when you try to overheat something. And besides, we've started, for now,
2: we've sat around this table many times the president's uh, you know get blamed for bad economies and uh, get praised for good economies and, and in fact have relatively little to do with it but one of the things that you know is that for any economic trend to be perceived by the general public it's got to be around for a while so the fact that this is starting out slow uh... and isn't having a great rebound on the president's uh, Uh, reputation, it it should not be
1: surprising. Carl Toobin.
5: Well, the President's approval record is now up to 50 percent, and I think that shows that uh, people have more confidence in him than was thought of three, four weeks ago, or even two months ago, and I think it's true. We have a problem. Of this administration, I've said it before, not being able to communicate to the public what it has done for the public. Yep. And, and this yep. has been true of other Democratic administrations.
0: Bob Lines? Well I think it's also true that if you look around the world most Americans would say, thank God we're here because we're so much better off in this country. And I think that has something to do to it too. And I think it's fair to say that the the uh, the, the economy is growing, which we are. The unemployment numbers are going down. There is a it's a plus. It isn't robust. It may not be robust for another year or so. Dan Lipner, but it's doing well.
6: It is doing well yeah. and is definitely getting people back to work. Yeah. However, the one piece of data that is remarkably staying put is incomes aren't rising. And that's why even Republicans are starting to talk about policy ideas for the wage stagnation. And that's going to be part of the conversation. Yeah, they've
2: they've just discovered the middle class here in the last few months. Yeah, they've
6: discovered the middle class. They no longer have Both parties.
1: Both parties. Yeah, that's Ah. great. That's great. (laughs) Yeah,
6: because both both parties have been talking equally about the merits of raising the minimum wage. Oh no, That's the not minimum wage.
4: Right. That's my point. The five percent of the people are affected by the minimum wage, and that was why I was saying that was such a it was such a bankrupt uh, focus. The focus needed to be on the middle class and on wages. And let's not get too excited about the employment numbers. The unemployment rate has declined, which is a good thing, but but overall employment has not grown. We've 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 caused a lot of people to move out of the labor force and not be anxious to get back in. And that's a big problem that everybody's paying attention to.
1: So is, with, that being, with that being said, I'll go around the table, starting with you, Dan Littner. Is is there something the president could announce tonight that would blow the wheels off in dealing with wages in the middle class?
6: Um, well, I you, I almost certainly is going to talk about the minimum wage. He's also going to talk about tax cuts. Um, which is this, this White House seems to have suddenly discovered triangulation after six years in office, and that's going to put the Republicans in Congress in an uncomfortable position.
1: Alan Moore?
4: Well, we, we said before, he's he's got this new focus, and he's got these tax credits, child tax credit, work, work opportunity tax credit, uh, a working couples tax credit. Those are all intended to increase take-home pay to a whole cadre of people who were in the in the middle, in the lower middle, and he was going to pay for it. And 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 I give him credit for thinking a lot bigger than the minimum wage, um, and and with some some pretty aggressive increases in capital gains. Denise Crap, and a financial serv and a financial institutions tax. Ooh, which is that's a true. Big bunch of that's dough.
1: true. Denise Crap. It's
3: going to have to be tied to taxes as both. Um, the gentleman before me at to about, but you also have to talk about jobs and bringing in more money. And part of that, it will be talking about the infrastructure. I mean, if we start sinking money into the infrastructure, you are building jobs and you're building the primary jobs and the secondary jobs that come with it.
1: Well, yeah, Excel pipeline. A critical piece of infrastructure. Creates all kinds of jobs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Carl the, Toobin. The
6: 53 people who retire after working. Oh, you see, uh, that, that's so uh, Democrat. What, so that, is such,
1: that is such bull.
4: With the Democrats, what our Democratic colleague, because because our other Democrats around the table, I think, would would not. They, they're this. not
1: even going but, to the But
4: Dan does. He says 53 full-time jobs. Let me tell you something about infrastructure jobs. All right. It's a lot of construction jobs. And then you have the infrastructure. You don't have continuing jobs, but you have the infrastructure. infrastructure. No,
5: wait, 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 wait. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. time out. Stop,
1: stop, stop, infrastructure, stop. infrastructure stop. that works for the good of the economy that can stop. create jobs. Stop, no, 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 no. You, know, no, no. you want, to want to jump in here? I want to jump in here. No, what Alan Moore is saying is absolutely correct when it comes the XL pipeline. That is absolutely correct. You think that it's just 50 guys working on a pipeline in a shack outside of Lander, Wyoming. (laughs) The reality is you not only have the jobs that are created to operate the pipeline, you have the jobs that are required to supply them, give them housing. The ripple effect economy of those jobs those 50 jobs. Yes, yeah, so you're talking about the multiplier effect. I of course, I understand, understand the economics. Any in, any infrastructure job, any big infrastructure project you put out there that is long term and sustaining, the the numbers show the ripple effect of those jobs cause economies to boom.
5: No, nope, It's not my turn. Call to it. I think we all are, we, we have to face the reality that <clears throat> many jobs that were available before are not available anymore due to automation etc etc and we have to, and i think part of the problem is, is that a certain class of people in their 50s, 60s etc have <clears throat> do not have uh, job retraining etc and they have lost out and i think that's something that we have to be aware of when we're looking forward
1: Bob Hines Well,
0: what Carl just said is absolutely true, but it is not the first time it has happened. It has happened every time there's a a fundamental change in the way we do our business, you know, and that's not surprising. There ought to be, we ought to find ways to uh, help train those people, but you're not going to go back and say we're going to get rid of the internet because, it takes so many other jobs. Well, oh, I want
1: to bring I want to bring that because Carl, I want to bring that up in our next half hour when we talk about social programs because that's going to tie into the free two-year community college thing. I got a big question: is why not include Vogue Tech? Why not include technical schools in that job? I, I mean, that's. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, uh, Congressman Al, is there anything you see that the president could bring out tonight regarding economic policy? Well. <clears throat>
2: Yes, and I want to agree with Alan that, that both parties share some responsibility for having lost the middle class argument some time ago. I remember giving a speech to a state democratic convention 24 years ago, Reagan was president, in which I said, you know, we have, we've we we've forgotten the people that made it. We've forgotten the middle class. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The one Democrat that is really talking about about this is Elizabeth Warren. And she is considered to be an outrageous radical of the far left. She's talking about we've got to concentrate on the middle class. That is not way out left wing. That is where the Democratic Party should be, and where 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 Alan is saying the Republicans want to be. Good point. Well, well just a word about Elizabeth.
4: Go ahead, That's please. The thing that she gets in the news for, though. Is this very aggressive, divisive, populist attack on Wall Street and on
2: what she calls millionaires and billionaires? Um, oh, I shed tears over those poor people. Kicked <laughs> <laughs> on by
5: this
4: she, little woman. Million Man March, not millionaires. She happens to be
5: one.
2: So there's this hypocrisy. So was Teddy Kennedy. I know, know. I know I mean, no, 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 no. I know they there were. There are some rich people
4: but, who but don't you, mind sharing. But, but, but her, her, her line is making a lot of other Democrats, not you apparently, very
1: uncomfortable. Well, we're, hold on to that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about where we think this could possibly go. It's State of the Union Tuesday here in Washington. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You You know, for those who listen to Backroom Politics and know about Shelley's Backroom... They think of it as some sort of cigar bar where politicians go to smoke their cigars and drink their martinis. Actually, what you don't know about Shelly's Back Room, Shelly's Back Room has one of the greatest menus in the city. I kid you not. You've got the campfire wings. Famous campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, seasoned marinated jumbo chicken rings served with their own special honey mustard sauce. Folks, if you like chicken wings, You've never had the campfire wings. Best wings in the city, bar none, I guarantee. If you don't like it, Al, you can call us up and tell us that you don't like it. Uh, You have daily specials. Come down on a day when they have the Justin Chicken Sandwich. The sandwich named after me. Breaded chicken breast, provolone cheese, thick cut bacon on a Kaiser roll, served with a honey mustard sauce. Folks, it doesn't get more artery-clogging than that. But it is worth it. Come down to Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, DC. The premier sponsor of backroom politics. I will. Well, we'll talk about it in a second. And we're back live here in Shelley's Back Room, Elm Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is Back Politics Live on Blood Talk Radio. And it's, it's State of the Union Tuesday, which is kind of like our Oscars. It's actually kind of like our Golden Globes. Election Day is kind of like our Oscars uh, for those in the award season. But that being said... Uh, we talked last half hour about uh, about some of the economic policies that the president come out with. Let's talk a little bit about some of the social policies that have come out. We've, we've already talked a little bit about them. The, the one that comes to my mind is the one that's gotten some press and, and some uh, some push on even bipartisan support is this new uh, endeavor of the president to give free community college two-year associate's degrees to those who qualify. Uh, I believe the initial state that they're trying this out is Kentucky or Tennessee, one of those. I have to get – got to get a producer. I really need a producer to get that stuff. But the big question coming off of that is, A, is it a good idea? Congressman L, is this a smart move for the president to call out? Well, that's two
2: different things. Is it a good idea? Is it smart of the president? First of all, it's a hell of a good idea. Does raise the question of how you're gonna pay for it. Well let's
1: get to we'll get to that one in a second. Let's look at the merits of it. Well let's go let's get to the but, merits of but it though. That's that's part of what the president is gonna to have
2: to respond to, you know, at some point, if not tonight at some point, because you can't do, do it for nothing. Now, is it smart for him to do this? Uh, I don't know, honestly. I think uh, I think that it, it depends on who wins the how you're gonna pay for it argument.
1: But Bob Hines, the, the Republicans, there are several Republicans that have said, you know what, this is not a bad idea. On the merits of the idea, sure, we could see getting bipartisan support on this, but it goes back to how are we going to pay for it? Without getting into that, because I'll get into that in a second, though, is this something that could get Republican support and make it a true bipartisan initiative to get people trained for jobs? New careers.
0: I would think you would find some Republicans who would be willing to support something like this, because we're talking about people who, if they succeed in their with their their schoolwork, they're going to be able to get a job. They're not going to be on the street corner or mugging people or anything else. And
1: wow, sorry about that. Apparently, we got hacked by North Koreans. They don't like our show. (laughs)
5: That's
1: a. Sorry, you got to be quick. You want to moderate? Be my guest. Bob Hines, you were talking about the merits of this, about how uh... yeah, because I, I think that if
0: we can educate some of our young people who uh, need more education in order to get a job, we're going to be. It's going to get them off the street. It's going to get them to be uh, useful citizens, both as citizens and as uh, wage earners, and they'll they'll have a better life. All of that is good. I think any kind of a program that we can de- develop that helps the unemployed and the underemployed to get finish school, to learn skills that they need, to get jobs. That is the, the best way we can possibly spend money.
1: Denise Grapp? So
3: you, you've already got some uh, programs that have started out. Uh, Siemens and some of the other uh, larger companies are going into high schools right now and saying, look, if you will work with us and you let us work with your 16 and 17 year olds and you let us help train them, we will bring them into the workforce. I mean, this is pulling in after the 16 in in their program, but it matches their program because what we're finding with a lot of the employers is that their employees don't know how to read and they don't know how to write. So if you pull in at 16 and 17 and then match it up with the 18 and the 19-year-old, you're adding an extra benefit because you're ensuring that the workforce is not only knowledgeable, but it's something that, you know, you can easily work with and not have to
5: retrain. Carl Tubman. Well, I want to just echo on what Bob said. <clears throat> Anything that we can do to bring children or, or young adults who can't afford education to come into the schools <clears throat> and be educated, even if it's a two-year period, will help get jobs. But also, some of them might, after the two-year period, decide we want to go further and get
6: a regular college degree, and a graduate school degree. Go ahead. And, Dan and, Well, and that's actually one of the other things that isn't really being talked about. You can't uh, talk, get into the weeds on the economics of it. Since, <laughs> as we as most people know, that the cost of college education has skyrocketed well beyond the rate of inflation. And this is actually a pushback to put some downward pressure on college costs because students will have an alternative at most likely going through state university system. And if you don't need to go pay at least for two years of the four years of the college education, that suddenly puts an incentive for universities to lower their costs as opposed
1: to just Denise Krupp, you're shaking your head now. But, I'm sorry, you know,
3: I'm a professor right now, and I can tell you that the university, (coughs) it's going to be a really interesting fight. My alma mater, GW, is now at $60,000 a year. So they're not exactly going to support losing hundred and twenty thousand dollars because they you know their margin is two hundred and forty thousand dollars over four years for one student, so you tell them then, hey, by the way, we want you to accept two years of this education and then come into your school. They're not going to do that. It might work at the state level your u c systems and your you know your your North Carolina systems might do it, but then you know let me add a little extra problem here you've got your creditors are the accreditors going to want to cede power to the government because that's essentially what you're going to be doing if you're saying that you give not
1: necessarily not necessarily why would you be succeeding that's that's what my question is as somebody who's who's been an administrator at a community college just because who
3: pays for it does not affect the actual accreditation of the school itself but what you're talking about is not only paying for it but all right. Who qualifies that they have graduated and will you accept those standards? I mean, the accreditation boards are split around the country. So, if, you know, like middle states is up in the Northeast and you've got other ones um, in the South and other ones in the West. You'd actually have to have everybody going off the same standards, which I'm not sure yeah. they're going to want yeah. to do. Those I- standards are going to take a while to develop. Again, you're going to have people pushing back at the private level saying they don't want to do that. And let's add an extra layer of complexity, and that would be your AP systems, because they're already colleges are already losing money when the students get their completely, AP, in the high AP system. Uh, advanced high school. advanced placement.
1: placement. Well, I completely enough. I completely disagree with you. Here's it's why. Here's placement. why. If the reality is, and and they've done, they've done this for decades, where the community colleges the states have tried to get initiatives, whether it's the, if you graduate from here, you're automatically accepted into a four-year program in the other in the State University Board of Regents systems versus the Community College Board of Regents mm-hmm. systems. Now then, understanding the fact that the Board of Regents systems, the State University systems, and the accreditations are different, what this program does does not affect how you qualify. You still have to meet the requirements to get into one of these community colleges that would be Funded by the state, by the federal government. But when that you standard,
3: have courses, will the other schools It
1: doesn't matter. As long as will, you no, 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 no. You're comparing apples to oranges. The reality is, the standards of graduation, yeah.
3: the standards of graduation are set by the border. If I apply in to you, in New York, but that's not the same standards in a private school, it, and that's where they're going to be hung up. It's But the, the private. Pri-
1: we're, we're not talking. They're not talking about funding private universities. They're talking about funding uh, private. They're talking about funding public community colleges, not private universities. So That's the difference. So
3: all of we're going to be start sending our kids to public instead of private. Now you're now you're distorting the message. You know, Alan Moore.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there's some
4: some some good points have been made. Our college financial system is in a shambles. It's broken. Colleges becoming broken. unaffordable to a great many. That is true. Is Free And what we're talking about is free tuition, let's remember, not that right. that's not- insignificant, and it's not he- the, the, the big number. Is that the answer? It's $60 billion a year, which we acknowledge nobody has any good ideas for paying for. Or do we have to start a little bit earlier to some of these 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds who are at the margin, who are salvageable, maybe could get into uh, a junior college, and then there's the problem of what this does to colleges and universities and, and the, the framework they have for paying uh, for, for their students. What we need with, the, with one of the big problems, apart from where the money comes from, with, with the President's proposal is he would grant tuition-free uh, junior college to everyone. It, if, if you're, you're rich, if you're poor, no, you. It's like no, it's, any, it's universal. Anybody, anybody who gets in, there's no more tuition. Well, th- there's no need well, who gets in. That's that's my point. Well, which is virtually anybody in. who is a high school graduate is is typically the way a lot of yeah, the yeah, work. The but, but 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 all I'm saying is there's no need uh, income test associated. So you got sixty billion, and maybe you could save twenty by saying, look, it's going to be a scaled system. We're going to make it affordable. We're going to pay 100% for the lower half, but we're not going to pay it for wealthier kids because we got better things to do with our money, although we haven't addressed where the money comes from. I just, I just think it's, it, 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 it addresses some of the issues that we're concerned about, but it leaves others aside. Here's,
1: here, but, and I understand what you're saying, but here's my take on this. Is, is the reality is when we talk about the community colleges, nationwide. They are an untapped resource of great education uh, programs for those who not necessarily qualify to get into a major four-year degree program at a state or private institution. They are great. They are also great sources of technical training. When you start talking about your associates in science degrees, I think they can... Take up the slack and look at some of these trades, like a Vogue Tech program. I would include Vogue Tech programs in this, but what I'm saying. We're back here live in Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., as is usually the case when you have a live remote broadcast, you run into little technical problems, still not thoroughly convinced this is not a ploy by the North Koreans to continue to hack our democracy. Yeah. If they're going to do anything, they're going to hack – What do why are you giving that such discount? All I think right. that, I'm speaking to him about his. It's, oh, I, 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 would, I would. Oh, I would. I would. I would wave Always him. just about you, Justin. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Hey, we are we are very fortunate. We are waiting the arrival from uh, Reagan National Airport of uh, Congressman Rick Larson. Congressman Rick Larson's is going to join us for the hour to kind of talk and give us his preview oh, of, of what we think is going to happen in the State of the Union and what the new initiative for the 114th Congress might be from his aspect. Al, you're just excited because your successor's coming. He's what? Your successor.
2: <laughs> who? Rick Larson,
1: <laughs> Congressman, oh, Washington Second District. That's you know, our guest for the five o'clock <laughs> hour. Successor. You yes. are so lost without an aide. You really are. I truly am. God, but, we
2: gotta get you an aide. But but Rick Larson, uh who did succeed me with one other guy in between, is uh, is doing a Really good job, and I'm so glad that he's going to be here. Well,
1: he's been a great supporter. He's been a great supporter of the show and a great friend of ours. So we're looking forward to that. Hey, let's go back to before we got hacked. Uh, Let's go back and talk a little bit about this community college deal. We we talked a little bit about the initiative itself, but I do want to talk about where could we possibly pay sixty billion dollars to fund this type of aggressive? Is the only word I can think of aggressive um, educational program at at the state level. Alan Moore, any ideas?
4: No. I, I mean, it, 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 I think the president's proposal, as I understand it, is that he's trying to raise $320 billion um, uh, over 10 years to pay for all these other tax cuts. But this is this dwarfs that in size, so I, I don't know what he has in mind. There's no, there's no easy money out there. I mean, we can't, as we said, we were talking before, if we can't raise the gas tax a little bit for the first time in 20-some years when our roads and bridges are falling apart, it's pretty hard to come up with other new sources of revenue. Now, the, the easy thing, of course, is to simply deficit spend. Um, we're very good at that, all of us. Uh, Republicans and Democrats, they're all very, very good at that.
1: Denise crap? I'd
3: say the Defense Department budget. Various. What? Oh yeah, no, I'm serious because there has say it again, been... sister. <laughs> I'm going after the Defense Department budget. There has been by the some... way, the
1: views and expressions of Denise Craft do not necessarily reflect that of Backroom. What? You're going after
3: defense? <laughs> yeah, because there has been a remarkable scandal involving the Navy and contracting. Apparently, this lovely Asian individual was—I'm trying to remember how the Washington Post put it—spent millions. I don't think hundreds, but definitely millions on bribing Navy contractors, admiral secluded, on, let's see, I think it was exotic dancers, hotel rooms, Kobe beef, uh, okay, which but really we- must be very good. I, I've never had it before. But it it's like, wait a second. If that type of mis... Mal, are we going to call it malfeasance? 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 I don't know. Mal-feasance, mal-feasance. Mal-feasance. We'll call it malfeasance can take place. I think it's time that somebody goes in there and starts cleaning up the contracting shop and finding out what other types of problems are occurring.
1: Wow. Uh, Bob Hines, any ideas of where the president could possibly go to pay for this aggressive? Yeah, I can tell you. You're a pocketbook. You think this is going to be a tax? <laughs> I I
0: expect there will be a number of taxes uh, or or funding systems or structures. He's going to have to raise some money. See, there are two good ideas right there.
2: What, pay, I, 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 do not, I do not laugh off. You know, taking a closer look at the at the Defense Department, uh, but uh, also, you know, the, the idea that you simply can't raise taxes is is unrealistic beyond belief. Well, and, I mean, hold the, on,
0: it's, Bob Hines. It's clear to me that uh, we have got to clean up tax code. If if if. if if I could do one thing, if I had the total ability to do one thing, and I could snap my fingers and take the take from the code everything that's been put in there since the last right rewrite back in '86, I believe it was that that was a nice clean bill. But since then, we've got three or four hundred carbuncles been put on the tax
1: code. But Dan Lipner, if if you're the president, I mean, if hearing what we're hearing right now, one would think, hey. Tax code rewrite might be something I might want to lead off with just to get everybody in line so I can lead up to my community college programs, my tax credits for earned income, family tax credits. Why not swing for the fences on tax revision?
6: And that's one of the rumors that's out there that the president's actually going to, it, while coupling with a, a corporate tax reform, which both sides agree, needs to be done but also potentially throwing in, as what Willie Sutton would point out, you go where the money is, capital gains tax. Because that's where the supermajority of the wealth that's been created in the recovery has come from. It's Wall Street. So here, that's here, the here, obvious here, place here. to go. And that's not the average American's pocket.
4: Alan Moore? I, I have no problem with raising the capital gains tax. I mean, I... Is, the kinds of proposals they're talking about aren't going to affect me, um, but that doesn't make it easy. But but we have so I mean here, we're we're talking about some trees here. We got this big forest of massive deficits, entitlement spending that we haven't even, that hasn't even the word entitlement hasn't even come up, but it certainly has over time around here. Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, disability insurance. Um, we, we we have some. Very big social infrastructure pro- programs that need to be to be taken on and addressed through some kind of mechanism, um, because we we we're, we're sort of it's almost like the the rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic kind of thing because the uh, uh, the overhang of our debt and our ongoing deficit, though smaller now, is still at historic highs pri- uh, 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 compared to the the years prior to the Great Recession.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break. We've got Congressman Rick Larson going to be joining us here in a second. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Congressman about his views on the State of the Union and his views on the upcoming 114th Congress. This is Backroom Politics live from Shelly's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington D, on D.C., I should say, on State of the Union Tuesday. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, here on Backroom Politics, you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour, the second hour of Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelly's Backroom. 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Backroom Politics premier sponsor. Hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelley's Backroom that really know how to pour a drink. Whether it's something simple like my on-air, Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or whether it's something elaborate like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Swift wine selection, scotch selection that will blow your mind. They've got Highland Scotches, they've got Isla Sky Scotches, blended, single malt, anything you want. Port wines to go with that great cigar from the great humidor. Down here at Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington D.C. Come on down, have a drink, and make some new friends. Or heck, just come on down and listen to Back Room Politics on Tuesdays.
2: more time.
1: Shelly's back room, 1331 <laughs> F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As we've stated all day, it's State of the Union Tuesday here in Washington, D.C. And joining us fresh off a flight from Seattle Tacoma International Airport right. in his, in the great state of Washington. He is the he is the ranking member on the mm-hmm. Aviation Subcommittee of Transportation and Infrastructure, a member of the Armed Services Committee, and the representative of the great second district of Washington State. He is Congressman Rick Larson. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Thanks a
7: lot. It's great to be here. You make it sound like uh, State of the Union Tuesday makes it sound like Super Bowl Sunday. You
1: know what? It's Hollywood for ugly people. It's our our Golden Globes now. That's about the truth. That's That's right. Uh, And that's why we do radio. (laughs) Hey, uh, Congressman, first of all, congratulations on uh, kicking off the 114th Congress. I'm sure you've got some great, great hope for the 114th Congress after a uh, 113th Congress that went through. Uh, let's start off swinging for the fences. You obviously, uh, in Washington's 2nd Congressional District, have a lot of things going on. But what are you hoping for starting off this new Congress? What do you hope to see?
7: Well, let's, uh, first off, I want to say thanks uh, uh, for the opportunity to be here. And before I get too far into this, I recognize Al Swift, who um, also used to represent. Represent the second district of Washington State, and people always ask me, "Is that Al Swift's seat you represent?" And, and I say, "Yes." And one day it will be my seat. <laughs> uh, until then, it's still Al Swift's seat, uh, all of that, yeah.
1: Are you talking about the one in Washington or the one here at the table? Because you can have that one too.
7: The one in Washington, Washington State. Yeah. So you know the the 114th Congress. Um, I hope the only I, I hope there's more differences. Uh, between the 114th and the 113th, and and just that it's one more number, Um, because there's a lot of work that we didn't get done in the 113th uh, Congress that is sort of sitting out there still. There's some big things. I don't know if there's any uh, transformational things that we have to get done, but there are some big things that we have to get done. Immigration reform is big. Uh, A longer-term transportation bill on surface transportation is big. I've been... uh, Uh, talking about corporate tax reform and tax reform since 2008 and I'm a Democrat and there's there's there are some places in between Democrats Republicans and tax reform that we can get to So there's a lot of things going on they're just uh, they ought to be going on they just aren't going on they aren't happening so yeah I've got some hope because as a member of Congress you didn't have hope in your job, you shouldn't be a member of Congress anymore.
1: Good point, good point. Uh, Congressman, let's talk a little bit. We we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, tax reform. There's buzz going around the beltway that the president could come out with several ideas for tax reform, tax revisions. There's already talking about a new millionaire's tax, but also a family earned income tax credit. Uh, And then, of course, other minor uh, taxation issues but overall, do you think the president has the opportunity, or should he take the opportunity, to come out and say, look, our number one priority right now to fix all of this is tax reform, and I urge the Congress to make this a top priority? Um, I, I'm
7: not one for um, using too many uh, other issues to fix other issues. Mm-hmm. We should do tax reform uh, for its own sake. The, the tax code is a mess. It's uh, full of um, provisions that uh, um, that don't help enough people mm-hmm. and, help and only help certain folks. So I think that's where the focus on tax reform ought to be. The other thing I say about tax reform is it's got to be paid for. I think um, I think my my Republican friends want tax reform but don't want to don't want to pay for the cost of it. Um, and that I'm sure there's some Democrats who are guilty of that too. Uh, at least the president's proposal has come out. Would, would pay for what he sees as tax reform. I tend to think his proposal is more of an opening um, opening ante on the debate more than anything else, and I think we'll hear that in the State of the Union speech tonight. Is it,
1: is it something that, from what you're, hearing, what you're hearing talking amongst your colleagues, is it something that a lot of folks on the Hill are wanting to move forward on without um, the push from the
5: president?
7: Um, there are, I would say, I wouldn't say a lot, but there are enough. Um, i would I would say I, I don't know that um inside my own party, the Democratic party, I think there are the moderates who want to report on tax reform uh, I'm not sure that uh, the same can be said for maybe some of the more progressive um, uh, members of of the party um when, on on tax issues um, and I think on the Republican side again I think there's a, a larger group that want to report on tax reform, but I don't know how to read um, a lot of the newer members, uh, frankly. Uh, there's been, I think, the, I, I don't know the exact number, but there's so many members who have been elected in the last two or three cycles, mm-hmm. and I'd have to say Democrats and Republicans are still getting to know who they are.
1: Really? Okay. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit, as we were talking earlier, about one of the initiatives that we hear the president's going to bring up is this uh, community college incentive, where uh, the president's talking about pre-community college funding for students to go and get advanced degree work from just their high school education. Number one, this is something that I would take you would support, but the question is, how aggressive can the president get with this program, and how do we pay for it?
7: Yeah, um, there's something I, I, I do support. I, I was, at um, still am, uh, one of eight kids. Um, my mom and dad didn't go to college uh, at all. Um, graduated in the, in the mid-50s. And uh, Dad barely graduated from Granite Falls High School um, <laughs> that uh, Al and I used to represent, and uh, before we and, uh, I, I, but they made sure all of us did, so all of us went to went to college. Uh, so the education is a very high value in our family. So this idea that we can help uh, kids get a two degree uh, is important. Um, I think the what the president's proposed is the right idea, but a lot of this depends on whether individual states will play along. President's only proposed so what is proposed? Seventy-five percent funding for community college degrees if, if you meet certain standards. The other twenty-five percent would have to come from the states uh, that would be that would participate. So it really is the the ultimate success on numbers will depend on which states participate.
1: Is is this more of a you know what we see in, in, in your bailiwick transportation? Is this a, a matching funding issue? We'll put up seventy five percent here in Washington. you're responsible for putting up another fifteen at the state level and even the local- jur- community college jurisdictions you have to put up the other ten
7: well in Washington state uh the states were in the community college system so it would be uh it would become it the twenty five percent would come out of the state i don't I can't speak to how other states would do it exactly but for washington state the other twenty five so if Washington state participated in it that twenty five would come out of the state's budget
1: would 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 your colleagues support cuz one of the issues that we hear about a lot nowadays especially with the call for increased infrastructure which we'll talk about in a second is the need for technical jobs welders pipe fitters boiler makers would would you support or would your colleagues support including vocational and technical schools as part of that initiative
7: well again i can i can speak to Washington state's experience the community and it is a community and technical college system.
1: Right. So it is, all,
7: it is all one in that regard. So it wouldn't have to be a choice in Washington State. The other thing I'd point out, I think it was about a year and a half ago, Brookings um, uh, came out with, the Brookings Institution, which is a think tank here in town, came out with a study that talked about what what STEM jobs are, what science, technical, engineering, math jobs are. And they're not all four-year degree jobs. Many of those are two-year degree jobs. Many of those jobs are jobs you wouldn't think of as STEM jobs. Nursing, auto repair. And it's because the nature of those jobs have changed. The nature of how we do those jobs has changed. And the nature of how we train folks has changed. And it has become much more of a technical um, uh, job as opposed to what it might have been even 10 to 15 years ago. So this initiative about training folks and senior colleges, whether it's a community or technical college, as, as jobs of the future is very real. It's not, these These aren't jobs that maybe when my dad was in school, this is where the kids who, you know, smoked um, at the smoker's tree at lunchtime, those are the jobs they went into <laughs> in the 50s. That isn't how it is at all these days. These are jobs that are paying a lot of money for a two-year degree.
1: Is uh, With those jobs, obviously, we're hoping that, Infrastructure improvements, infrastructure enhancements, a key, key issue right now facing the American economy and our, and our national security, even. When we talk about increasing infrastructure, any hope that the president will come out strong on enhancing our national infrastructure? I think
7: he will. I don't think he's going to come out for a gas tax increase.
1: Why not? Um, I, I don't know.
7: Uh, it is the easiest, most efficient, uh, cleanest way to finance infrastructure. It is a user fee. It is something that we've used for uh, quite some time. Ronald Reagan supported a a, a gas tax increase. We haven't increased the gas tax since 1993. Um, So the value of the gas, the federal gas tax, has uh, dropped uh, by more than half in that time. And the highway trust fund, which we use to help fund uh, surface transportation, uh, we continue to have to uh, fill the gap every year out of general fund dollars. Uh, out of the out of the uh, out of the treasury, um, I think that if we're going do if we're going to do an infrastructure bill, it should be long term, it should be robust, and i my I personally have come out for an increase in the gas tax.
1: Well just just follow up on that though, congressman. when you talk about the 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 trust fund, the trust fund by many accounts including some in your own party mm-hmm. have even come out and said look that thing's broken that that system just does not work it's not effective it's not efficient and we're not using some of that money correctly is this now an opportunity that possibly we could revamp the way that we distribute that funding from the gas tax i would i would
7: argue that the only reason the highway trust fund doesn't work is because congress doesn't want to fund it
1: Okay, fair it's like, enough.
7: It's like it's like saying that uh, we're having this argument right now in aviation about the, the air traffic control system and whether we should privatize it or make it a corporation or, or still keep it. And and that was never a question so long as Congress would fund what it was supposed to do. But the day that Congress decides not to fund it, suddenly it's a problem. The problem is Congress isn't doing its job um, uh, on transportation funding. It isn't the transportation funding itself, and uh, so that, I mean that's that's what I that's what I would argue. Okay. What I think that um, on the highway trust fund, um, the idea of using tax reform uh, to sort of claw back, uh, you know, allow companies to bring their profits back into the U.S. and then claw back that some of that those um, tax dollars that are generated by that to help pay for uh, infrastructure, which is an idea the president has come up with is a one-time deal only, and it's not a long-term solution at all.
1: Fair enough. Denise Krepp, you got a question for Congressman
3: Rick Larson. The, uh, the Senate is, is voting on the Keystone Pipeline this week, and Senator McCain has introduced an amendment that would repeal the Jones Act, or at least the U.S. bill requirement of the Jones Act. Uh, what would that do to constituents in uh, Washington State?
7: Uh, Senator McCain's position on the Jones Act is very unpopular in Washington State. Um, uh, we have uh, a very robust uh, shipbuilding and ship repair and boat building industry still in our state, um, employing a lot of people. I just visited a local company, Nipples Brothers, um, on oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. South Woodby Island, oh, in yeah. um, and they've got a two-year backlog on their work um, already. Dakota Creek has a backlog. That's another boat builder in the district has a backlog on their work. They're all supporters of the Jones Act. The Jones Act uh, is... Well, the Jones Act is... Named after Jones, who a, was a Washington State Senator in the twenties. Um, so uh, we're very supportive, generally in Washington State, of the Jones Act, and uh, I can't imagine you're going to see um, Washington
5: State Senators vote for that.
1: Let me, let me follow up on that, since we're talking about technical jobs, shipbuilding, a great technical job, high-paying, sustainable workforce. Um, but one of the one of the concerns that the industries had that the administrations Going back even to Clinton, have not have not supported or funded the Title 11 loan guarantee programs for maritime shipbuilding. If we're talking about creating sustainable technical jobs, would it not make sense to have them? And it's not just it's not just the Title 11. There are other loan guarantee programs for infrastructure. Does this make sense at this point? To what? To to fund it or at least get a push to get funding towards. Some of these infrastructure loan guarantee
7: programs. Um, Well, I think that funding infrastructure is not as to to talk about funding infrastructure is to talk about uh, very different ways to fund infrastructure. We do roads, bridges, and highways differently than we do airports. Correct. And we do airports very differently than we do water ports. And we do all that very different. We do uh, water and sewer infrastructure very different than we do all those things. And so, it, it's it's there's not a monolithic way to achieve that goal. I think, though, that from a from a national perspective, to make a decision that we want to do this, that does at least require us to have uh, a policy and then take action on doing it. And just again, getting back to the uh, surface transportation bill called MAP 21, for those who track this um, track this issue, is we are not um, funding uh, surface roads, bridges, and highways um, like we have in the past. And it puts states at a disadvantage because they take their own dollars and they use federal dollars that come out of the good graces of, of people who buy gasoline in this country, um, want to recognize the taxpayer's role in this, and, um, and then build the things that they need to make their, make their economy move. We are getting, we're getting away from the basics, uh, and I think just generally in the United States, getting away from the infrastructure of opportunity, whether that's in education, Funding at the higher education, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's basic research in our universities, we're getting away from that, and um, I don't think that's a good long-term, uh, a long-term um, decision.
1: One, one of the uh, one of the issues that we're also hearing a lot of buzz going around for the president's State of the Union, obviously it's an issue close to home for you, being a border state and having at least two ports of entry that I know of in your district, yeah. uh, is immigration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, From the Washington 2nd Congressional District aspect, what are your hopes that could come out of the President's new immigration push that we're supposed to hear about tonight? Yeah, you know, we we
7: look at it a little bit differently, uh, immigration and borders a little bit differently, because uh, we share a border with Canada. Um, It generally hasn't been the problem uh, in the debate uh, on immigration reform, but when you look at the role of the transient workers in our economy is pretty big. Just give you an idea, before redistricting in 2011, we actually drew the lines, that my district was much more of a rural and agriculture district. district. And the census had it uh, at about um, 10.5% self-identified Hispanic, okay? Mm-hmm. And people generally think, well, it's because of all the agriculture in the district. Well, the lines get redrawn. I have a much more suburban district now. And, this, and according to the census, it self-identified, the self-identified Hispanic um, population is 10, still ten and a half percent. And it's because of, largely because of, instead of being an agricultural base, it's a suburban, service-oriented uh, base. The point I want to make on this is that Washington State has a a large, vibrant, involved, and working Hispanic community, and immigration reform uh, for the United States is important for Washington State's economy to give these folks a permanent way out of the shadows they currently currently live in. Most recent polling in Washington State, even in the most conservative areas of Washington State, show that uh, those conservative areas support a pathway to citizenship for undocumented workers because of the re- people do recognize folks who are living in our communities, going to churches with, with uh, their neighbors and our neighbors. Um, they're working and we don't want them to leave. We want people to stay and we want them to be part of the community. But
1: plain devil's after here. You. you know, we, sure. when you, I mean, it, that kind of puts a little bit of an awkward spin, being that you're, uh, your closest border is Canada. You hear of Canadians as saying, look, we've been waiting for going into America legally, we're still waiting in line, yet they're talking about pathway to citizenship yeah. for undocumented Latino. Largely, Largely not immigrant, not, always, not all. Not all agreed. But does that put you in a kind of an awkward situation between juggling what's right for the district regarding your Canadian neighbors or what's right for your Hispanic population? That's key to
7: service and growth. Well, it's to be to be clear, the Constitution says I represent a district, not a riding. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I am. Uh, I feel very comfortable with where I am. But but the but the I think we're getting at as well is that. Uh, immigration reform has to uh, um, be a, a a bigger, comprehensive deal. We need to deal with high tech and low low skill and no skill folks. We need to deal with the undocumented issue. We need to deal with the existing backlog of folks who are trying to get on on uh, on visas uh, as well. Um, if we don't, you know, this is my third. I've been in Congress now 14 years and a couple weeks, and I'm on my third iteration of immigration reform, and uh, and yet to have God it's done. And if I don't take the blame for all that, for not getting it done, but the point is that in 14 years, the issues haven't changed all that much. They have not changed, the politics haven't changed, and they're not going to change, and so why we're still debating this instead of just moving forward on it is, uh, I think it's more a testament to the inertia
1: Well, along those same lines, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of DACA, the Deferred uh, the deferred Deportation Program for Students. Deferred Action, right. Yeah. Um, are you disappointed with the fact that DACA has been kind of almost sidetracked uh, a little bit in, in the administration's push for immigration reform? Well,
7: they've pushed uh, um, on the executive order, the first one for DACA, and the second one actually expands it. Uh, And Congress itself now has voted as part of the House has voted to uh, roll back deferred action as part of the uh, Department of Homeland Security funding bill. Right. I don't think that's going to stand in the end, but, uh, you know, I leave that to the Senate
1: right now. Dan Lipner, question for Congressman Larson. Yeah, Congressman,
6: I'm kind of curious, since uh, much to my chagrin, the Republicans now hold both uh, houses of Congress. Um, but there seems to have been a bit of a tone change amongst at least the the Republican leadership uh, that it's less about just going after Obama and seemingly at least from uh, the speaker as well as the new majority leader uh, that they seem to be talking that they would like to get things done. I'm kind of curious what you've seen in the new young Congress, whether or not that's filtered down to the overall membership,
7: uh, it's a little early to say, but I'm I'm not uh, I'm not yet convinced, and the proof will be in the pudding. The, the thing is, you know, the president won an election in 2012, and then should have had some leeway to work on the things he wanted to work on, um, but the message he got from the Republican leadership uh, was one of resistance. And now this past election, the 2014 election happens, and Republicans get the House and the Senate, and they say, well, now that, this is the election that counts for, for the approach you need to be taking to the country. Not the one you won in 2012, Mr. President, but the one Republicans won in 2014. So I have found sometimes that when my Republican colleagues, and I've heard this from Democrats too, when, when members of Congress say, we want to work together, that means we want you to agree with us. Uh, And so I'm just saying I think the proof's going to be in the pudding, and we'll see which issues – it won't be every issue. It'll be which issues actually provide opportunities for the president and the House and the Senate to work together. And there there are some. Um, We just shouldn't get uh, wrapped around the axles of the ones that we agree that we're not going to get along on.
1: All right. It's bottom of the hour. We're going to take a quick break. When we we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Congressman Rick Larson of Washington's 2nd Congressional District great state of Washington, something you hold dear to your heart, Congressman Now, Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a cheerleader. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is State of the Union Tuesday on Backroom Politics. You know, you hear us talk about Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., It's being the place to be. America's Premier Cigar Tavern, place to make new friends or visit old friends, or even have a lively political discussion like we do here on Backroom Politics. But what you may not know, Shelley's is the place for private parties. Shelley's Back Room is available to host events for groups of 10 to 250. From cocktail receptions to sit-down dinners, Shelley's can provide custom menu options to suit your needs and budget. Although Shelley's is a smoke-friendly environment, Shelley's can make accommodations for non-smokers based on the side of your party. But heck, why would you want to? With a cigar menu like they have here, why would you even consider going smoke free? Event pricing varies based on the time of the day of the week chosen for your event. For more information on private parties at Shelley's back room, go to www.shellysbackroom.com private-party. Shelly's Backroom, the place to be, as Bob likes to say it. It's also a place for private parties. And we're back here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's State of the Union Tuesday, and joining us is the representative from the 2nd Congressional District of Washington State, Congressman Rick Larson. Congressman, thanks for joining us this hour. Glad to be here. Uh, Bob Hines, you got a question for Congressman Larson? Yes. Uh, at,
0: at the break, you were talking about there are some issues uh, that are more difficult, some we can maybe work on. I would be interested in knowing... Which ones you think are doable? And of course, obviously, uh, if, if you can get some to do, something works doable. Maybe some of the more difficult ones get a little easier.
7: Yeah. What do you think? Right. Uh, so on on the principle that if we can learn to ride a bike together, we might be able to ride unicycles together. Um, that
5: kind of thing. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. We'll
7: we'll see about that. But <laughs> I, I, I do think that there are um, there are some things that where Democrats, Republicans can um, come to some agreement on. And they, and they they won't be necessarily easy to do, but they're easier than others and, and require some politics uh, in, in our districts, I think. One issue is on, is on tax reform. It, there, might, there might be a way to address tax reform, but tax reform I think will have to include cleaning up the tax code as well, a little bit like the 1986 tax reform. Exactly. Law. You just – can't lower rates and um and call it good uh, you have to you're going to lower rates you're gonna to have to pay for those by closing some other things up on the tax code. That's one. I think there's an opportunity on especially on uh, on infrastructure on a longer term surface transportation bill something that everybody everybody will will benefit from and I, and I, I have found that um even some of my newer colleagues on the Republican side um, they want their bridges built too. Um, and and they want someone else to pay for them, and and uh, that's kind of how we've done transportation. Um, so I think there's some opportunity there. The third is on trade. It's most controversial, but the um, the administration seems to be lining up the this uh, uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a Asia trade agreement, and then the the European trade agreement. But those th- those are much more um, controversial, and I think we're going to depend a little bit on how much, how many Republican votes they can get versus how many Democratic votes are available for for trade votes. But uh, the
1: President himself is very clear that he wants he wants them done. Carl Toomey, you have a question for Congressman Rick
5: Larson. Yes. Is there any, uh, is there any feeling that uh, Republicans uh, want to get together more with Democrats than they have to? sessions previous to this where people get to know each other and get to work together, etc.
0: Well,
7: you know, I, I, I was thinking a little bit about that um, on the flight across the country, which is what are you going to do for five hours?
1: <laughs> so, and uh, I was thinking Catch about, up unjustified? I don't know. <laughs> right, exactly.
7: I was thinking, trying to come up with some analogy about even being at the State of the Union speech tonight, and it's sort of you know, it's it's like it's like going to a family reunion in a swamp. You know, it's hot, it's sweaty, and you're around with a lot of people you wouldn't hang around with usually. And having said that, um, I think there are there are a lot there are a lot of relationships that individual members have with other members of Congress on the Democratic side and and Republican side. It's just, it's just there's 434 other people who are you know who who don't have the knowledge you have. Uh, all right about the job. You're always the, the smartest person in the room for your district. But I I do think that there are, there, there are more relationships that exist than people give Congress and the House and Senate credit for. It's just a matter of how can you help turn those relationships into a working relationship, uh, to get things, to get things done. And, um, uh, so, so I, I think there, I think there are opportunities, um, uh especially on the committees i'm on armed services and transportation working across uh, the aisle with um with colleagues who have been you know been on the on the on the committee with for a while to move some things forward so i'm not i'm not trying to say everything is wonderful and it's all kumbaya because it is not but there are there are longer term existing relationships that i have with republicans and with other democrats that uh um, we all understand we want to try to get some things done and move, and move the ball forward
1: on issues. It's going to be weird. Congressman Al, you have a question for Congressman Rick. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, the,
2: uh, you just scared it out of me.
1: Uh, <laughs> How do I do that?
2: I'm sitting next to you and you lean on me, that's... (laughs) Wow. And that's a
0: heavy load. (laughs) Really? Wow. Really?
2: It seems to (laughs) me that John Boehner has worked hard to try and get more control over his side and particularly bringing out more moderates and playing down the the radicals. Uh, I think this is very helpful. What's going on on the Democratic side?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good question, Congressman Al, Congressman Larson. Well,
7: uh, I think on the Democratic side that um, we're we're more unified in the minority than we are usually when we're in the majority. Um, I found when we got the majority in 2007 um, that sort of uh, it sort of freed up people to say what they really thought of you. Um, and the majority, <laughs> yeah. not you, Al Swift. Uh I'm being metaphorical here. Um, um, and then in the, the minority, tend to be more united uh, usually, uh, and, I, and I still think we are. But I, I will say that I think there's probably um, <clears throat> there's some pent up demand in the rank and file about the the, the future of the of the House uh, Democrats, and you know what kind of party are we going to be in the future. I think some of that will play out over the next two years, not just in the House Democratic Caucus, but it'll play out um, in the in the presidential election uh, through the nominating process and who gets in, who gets into that. I think that's gonna that will play out play out there. But uh, I, but you know, on the on the basic issues of equality of opportunity, on 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 uh, um, supporting uh, um, middle class families. Just, there's just some basic issues that we agree on as Democrats, and we're not we're not getting away from that. But I but I do think there's a, there's some pent up demand in the rank and file um, about where are we headed and what are we going to be about for the next couple of years.
1: Let me follow up on that if I can, though, uh, Congressman. We've seen just as we saw the I don't want to say radicalization, but the upsurgence of the Tea Party, the far right in the Republican Party. We've almost seen that occurring in the Democratic Party with Elizabeth Warren and some of her supporters. Are we going to see more of a, a branch out? There's going to be a larger divide between the middle ground and the far left, far right? Let,
7: let, me, uh, let me challenge the premise just a little bit. Okay. Um, having been through the healthcare town hall forums in 2009 where 2,800 people showed up Right. At a town hall that I had in a baseball stadium. You had a town hall in a baseball stadium? It's the only place, Everett Memorial Stadium there, broad, off-Broadway down there with a the, with the football stadium that Al knows well. since he was, in, you know, a all, pro all-state quarterback, I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Ooh,
1: um, I did not know that.
2: <laughs> now, is that just, true? That was where I was once asked to throw out a ball for the baseball team and... My father, who was a kind man, said, Al, your problem is you throw a ball like a girl. And I could not get the ball halfway to home plate. I wanted to know.
7: We'll deal with that and tell me a story. Al never played football (laughs) in his life. And I want want to say I never knew his father, but I know plenty of girls can throw a baseball a lot better than me. (laughs) (laughs) For the record. (laughs) Bonnie Davis. But let's go back. Bonnie Davis. So here's here's my point. That uh, to to equate sort of the rise of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party right now with the rise of the Tea Party and Republicans mm-hmm. is like saying the Washington D.C. football team is good compared to the Seahawks because <laughs> because it, it, it's not the same thing. I, I would I I would just I would not get that kind uh of, in these town halls or in healthcare would not get that kind of in your face. Screaming at you, you're wrong 175% of the time. Um, I can't wait to beat you in an election. That kind of um, vehemence from even the progressive wing, although we would get a lot of energy, we get a lot of energy from the progressive wing of the party, but nothing like the.
1: Is that party. is that good for the Democrats as far as going forward, even looking toward 2016? Well, you know,
7: we always say is you know you need uh, two wings to fly, right? That's what they say <laughs> about the party.
1: Dan Littner, question for Congressman Larson.
7: Actually, I want to follow up on your point there
6: because I agree with you. The, the comparing the Tea Party with the left of the Democratic Party is about right. However, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts because watching some of the Tea Party leadership, that at least some of their membership seems to be embodied the, the same economic frustration. That the sure, yeah. that that the le- that the progressive left is talking about, just in different ways. I was curious on your thoughts on that.
7: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's sort of that cliché argument about how the right and the left come around and meet on the other side sometimes. And I think on 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 the impact of the Great Recession on on uh, on people that um, one the, the the Tea Party uh, the rise of the Tea Party reflects some of that frustration but directed at the it's the government's fault and on the on the left it's um the frustration from the great recession uh is directed sort of at the you know the wall street sort of big government and big companies and the grassroots on either side of that argument sort of do meet um somewhere uh with the same level of frustration based on the, based on the feeling that they have and some of this is true that they aren't the um, uh, recovery um, like others are seeing the economic recovery happen, they aren't, they aren't reaping the, the benefits of the recovery that's happening on, on the right and on the left, and that frustration that, that continues. And I think that's a part one why, why you'll see the President talk a little bit about economic inequality tonight. And you also hear um, amazingly, in my view, um, uh, Mitt Romney go to the Republican National Committee Winter meeting in San Diego and talk about economic inequality, you know, uh, inequality. Two years too late, perhaps, but better late than never. This is becoming (laughs) a theme uh, in the Republican Party, but it is a theme that both parties now are sort of vying for, and it's an interesting. It's right now it's an interesting political science question. We'll see if it actually becomes an interesting political question in a in a presidential
1: campaign. There's a lot of there's going to be a lot of eyes on this. This is the second to last State of the Union that President Obama will be giving. In your mind, what has to happen tonight for this to be considered a home run for President Obama and his initiatives? What is what do we have to see tonight? Well, I mean, uh, you know, this
7: <clears throat> to get to another football analogy, this is this is going to be as exciting as the AFC Championship game was um, between New England and, and Indianapolis. I mean, I don't think we're going to see anything new. It's going to be Somewhat boring in that regard. Nothing new will come out. I just don't see that happening. Um, but I think uh, for the the president to be successful, the the bar is kind of it's kind of low. He's already essentially given his State of the Union speech over the last two weeks with his visits around the country, coming out with ideas at non community college and probably even some more transportation. Probably a little more about trade tonight. Uh, certainly, hear about tax reform, hear about immigration reform. All of that is out there, so I don't expect anything new tonight. He just gets to encapsulate um, what he has been talking about, and uh, uh, I, I so I don't know that there's any any one thing that's going to make this a a rousing success. From a person who uh, gets to watch these um, speeches, um, I'm still contemplating whether I'll watch it from my house. Um, I, uh, because my couch is much more comfortable
1: than any chair. <laughs> for,
5: uh, for and, uh,
1: Although or that speaker's chair is pretty comfortable, yeah, I hear. That chair is pretty comfortable, but I'm not
7: looking at that one. <laughs> um, and you and you gotta have a game face on for like <laughs> yeah. the entire time. The no that's, that's nose picking. Yeah,
1: good. That's, that's bad. That's bad the bad.
4: Right and, not the right
7: point to nod. Yeah,
6: right. Um,
7: but I think that um, I think that to be a success, uh, you just got to get. A, he has to get his point across. Because this has already been spun before the speech. It's being spun already after the speech. Um, I think that he's not speaking to the folks in the room. He's talking to anybody who's watching, which might be, you know, 33 million. It might be 35 million uh, uh, people. Um, right. Certainly that leaves another 90% of the population of the United States
1: um, out. Right. The picture. Very good. <laughs> All right. You brought it up twice. We'll bring it up now. Your Seattle Seahawks have taken the NFC Championship. Obviously, you have gone total homer on the Seattle Seahawks. Now, for full disclosure, as moderator, it is my job to tell you I'm a diehard New England fan. And growing by, my, up, in, growing way, up in New
7: England. By the way, no one can see me smugly smiling and nodding my head right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right oh, now. no, but
1: no. I let, let, let us point out the smug smile nodding that you're doing right now. Uh, so, uh, you obviously were impressed with the way that Seattle – took that game right out of Green Bay's hands. Russell Wilson, a great job. But obviously you suffered some sort of hypoxia flying across the country if you think that the Seattle Seahawks are going to beat the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl.
7: Response? You've been drinking too much.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a man- are fully inflated. This <laughs> night I will demand these footballs are fully inflated. It, oh great. now I've started a congressional investigation. Right. <laughs> He's clean. I, He's I clean. You, I have been watching the CLC
7: Ox since nineteen seventy seven. I still have the cup that I bought at JC Penney in downtown Everett on Colby for a buck twenty nine <laughs> with my own money and it still sits in my in my in my cupboard and I, I use it once a year if that. I've been a Seahawks fan. So I deserve, and everybody everybody in the Northwest deserves a rooting and being absolute homers for their team. The other thing I would point out from, uh, from uh, I don't know, it won't be objective because I'm a, a Seahawks fan. Um, uh, I just, I don't see how New England's um, uh, offense can match up with, as a team, with the Seahawks defense. You've got individual um, you got Brady and you got Gronkowski, but I, I don't see how the, the running game uh, uh, gets through the linebacker core. I don't see how the, uh, the, the receiver core as a whole gets through the, the defensive backfield. Uh, I, I don't see that, and I, so I don't see a 43 to 8 win like we did when Peyton Manning was supposed to win by himself by himself last year. Right. Uh, right. But I like how I like how the people uh, sports casters talk about this is Wilson versus Brady. It's like they will be on the field together before the game and after the game. Do you think Do you think Russell
2: Wilson versus
7: Brady? Right. Do,
1: do you think Do you think Russell Wilson can can he um, capitalize, if you will, on the suspect midfield that the Patriots currently hold?
7: Yeah, but here's the thing about the Seattle offense. It's not about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson used to throw for 225 yards. That's, that, that's what Russell Wilson does. It's what he's asked to do. The problem that other teams have is that they think that he needs to do that over 50 passes. The pro, they, never, they haven't caught up the fact that he goes 17 for 25 and throws for 225 while Marshawn Lynch runs over you for 120. We're a run first team. We're not a Tom Brady, Peyton Manning quarterback first team. The thing is, he, Russell Wilson may be a game manager, but he manages to win.
1: And that's in the end what the Super Bowl is about. Well, because you're a friend, and I will let you have the last word on that, Congressman. <laughs> Apparently, uh, no, you haven't. No, nope, no, I will you have let you have that last word. word. <laughs> I'll, I'm going nope, to let you have that last word. We will see Sunday, February 1st, which I expect a phone call on that following Tuesday, I hope, either gloating or we may just call you and your staff, although I may not get through for a week or two. I don't gloat when I win.
7: (laughs) I let the wind... Uh, uh, You have have, have
6: congressional bets with any of the delegations? uh, We'll
7: probably do a bet. The problem is that uh, I'm not sure... In in New England, it's not just the Massachusetts delegation. It's Connecticut, New Hampshire, Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, Rhode Island. And uh, on the other hand, I'm
1: going to walk away loaded. Clean up? Yeah. yeah. I don't believe I'm hearing this. I don't believe I'm hearing this. Well... This has been backroom politics on ESPN radio. Uh, with that, this is my favorite part of the show, an abbreviated part, but uh this is my favorite part of the show where you tell me a story where we talk about the latest innuendo rumor, hints of all kinds of neat stuff going around inside the beltway and out. Uh abbreviated, which means thirty seconds, Alan. Uh Congressman Al, tell me a story.
5: <laughs>
2: I mentioned this earlier in the program uh, i I really think that the the congress has the Congress has demonstrated an inability to function, and I think on many of the key issues that we've got to do, we need tax reform uh, I can't read my own writing. I made notes, even infrastructure and and a couple of other things. That are so incredibly complicated. I'm I'm want, politically. I'm wondering if we really don't need to start finding ways to establish bipartisan, extra con- congressional programs like we did on uh, on Social Security a number of years ago, and let some good people without the crazies sit down, equal numbers and hammer it out. Social Security got Claude Pepper, and for those who don't remember him, he was the champion of uh, Social Security. Right. Uh, He even voted to do some cuts in Social Security on that, and they came back with a good rewrite of Social Security. I think it could be done on infrastructure. I think it could be done on on, on the tax program, although they have a good start with the uh, with the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee if they will pay any attention to it. Uh, So I, 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 I think Congress better forget that it's running things. It's not running things. It needs to give somebody else a chance that would come back to them for passage.
1: Okay, since you went above thirty seconds, I'm going to ask around. Does anybody have anything that can't wait till next week? To tell me the story. <laughs> wait, you, you have something that can't wait till next week? That can't wait
6: till. Uh, well, yeah. uh, I mean, no. My prediction on tonight's uh, response to the State of the Union. Go ahead. That uh, Joni Ernst is going to be the victim of the curse of responding to Obama's State uh, of the wow. Union. Every person who's responded, to disaster. So, and a, a great gift the president has. Oh encouraging the other side to fail,
1: and the response is a great fight. Are, are you
7: saying that the fix she's find to slaughter live on television will not
1: die? Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Oh, civility, folks, civility.
5: Uh, Carl Carl Toven, right, real quick, 30 seconds. Only because this happened last week, I attended the uh, conference uh, of the Center for American Progress, which is made up of Obama people and Clinton people, both old and new, right. et cetera, and they made out a, uh, uh, really a, a national but international uh, uh, economic plan, which will probably be Clinton's, Hillary Clinton's plan if she runs.
1: Interesting. Okay. Interesting point. Alan Moore, 30 seconds. I can't uh,
4: not mention the fact that, Al, who's been – Hoping and praying for regular order in the Congress is now talking about setting up commissions. I think think before we scrap it, before it's begun, we need to see what happens in the Senate. Because the thing that united the Republicans in the Senate was the behavior of Harry Reid as the Senate Majority Leader. We'll see what McConnell can do, and we'll see whether McConnell and the president can work together. That's the key for this whole next two years
1: interesting point. Bob, you're going to wait till next I'll week. Relax. Congressman Rick Larson, any big stories you want to any tell me a story.
7: Tell you a story. Um I was ready to turn the Seahawks game off yesterday like everyone else and it'd be liars if you said otherwise and you just you know it's like Yogi Bear said, it's never over. Somebody said it.
1: No, hey, it's Yogi, you know, Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear, Yogi Berra. not Yogi Bear. Oh, <laughs> Yogi like, Berra. like Yogi Bear said, I don't know. <laughs> boo-boo. <laughs> never <laughs> over. Never over. Your, pre, your press secretary right now is cringing over your imitation of Hanna Barbera cartoons. That's awesome. Just hey, on B- great, really. We're gonna be. We're gonna next week. Bob Livingston. Oh, Former majority leader in the House of Representatives of the great state of Louisiana will be joining us for our, post, for our post State of the Union address. He was chairman of the appropriations committee. Char- I'm sorry, Chairman of Appropriations. You're right. I'm sorry. There's so many kinky without a scorebook. On behalf of anyways, Bob Livingston will be former Congressman Chairman Bob Livingston will be joining us next week. On behalf of Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tubin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner. I am your moderator, Justin Russell. Special thanks to Congressman Rick Larson, Washington 2nd Congressional District. We're going to be here next week seconds. from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., Bob. The place to be. Absolutely. You can follow us on Twitter, at BackroomPolitics. You can also follow us on the web, www.BackroomPolitics.org, or you can email me your Super Bowl predictions, any bets, any comments, or concerns about the show to Justin at BackroomPolitics.org. We'll see you next week. Watch the State of the Union, folks. Bye-bye. You're problem.